certainly glad to see each and every one of you here this morning with us. We're certainly glad to have you in the worship, worship services, the congregation that meets here at La Prada. As I said already, certainly appreciate our visitors. Glad you've chosen to be here. Recognize there are many places you could be this morning. We're thankful that you've chosen to be with the church. We hope that you're edified and encouraged and uplifted by the message today, the singing, the prayers, and the fellowship with one another. Romans 15 and 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We are expected to read what is written in God's word and learn from it. There is no reason for us to make the same mistakes as those who have gone on before us. I remember graduating college and I got some investment advice from my dad. Good advice about 401k. And if I would have followed it, I would be much better off financially today. <laughs> but I didn't. And I was able to tell him that. Yeah, I wish I'd have listened. How I wish I could say that I heeded all the advice of my parents and aunts and uncles. But no, I had to make my own share of mistakes. Mistakes that I hope that I'm able to steer my own children away from or anyone who's willing to listen to me. I'll certainly share. But this morning, we're going to go through the book of Judges. And we're going to peer into the life of a man named Samson. Four chapters of the Bible are devoted to his life. These chapters are not filler. They're not fluff. There are some things in these chapters for us to read, for us to understand, and for us to learn from. In these chapters, we can learn from the lives of others and gain knowledge that can help us live godly lives today. So we'll be reading through chapters 13 through 16 but due to our limited time, I will be summarizing a lot. So I encourage you to go back and read through these chapters on your own and verify the things that I save one, but also to build your faith from God's word. In reading about Samson today, we're going to learn of a man who was chosen by God to be consecrated, to be set apart, to accomplish great things for God's people. We're going to see that despite turning aside, yielding to his own desires, God's will was still accomplished, but we will be left wondering about the great potential of what could have been if Samson could have exercised self-control and aligned his actions with God's will. So let's take just a moment to get some context and set the stage before jumping into the book of Judges. Let us begin with the days of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob living in the land that God promised to give to his people. Jacob, whom God renamed Israel, had 12 sons. Joseph was one of the 12 who was sold by his own brothers to Ishmaelite traders and he ended up in Egypt. While in Egypt, God elevated Joseph to a position of power and authority that allowed him to remove his whole family to Egypt and preserve the lives of them through the seven-year famine that struck the land. The Israelites remained in Egypt after the famine ended, and they continued to live there for 400 years. The Bible says that during that time they became so numerous that the Pharaoh or the ruler of Egypt 
determined to enslave them because of fears that the Israelites would align with an adversary of Egypt and bring harm to Egypt. Through Moses, God delivered the Israelites from bondage and he brought them out towards the promised land. After the death of Moses, we read of Joshua actually leading God's people into the promised land as they took possession of it. During the lifetime of Joshua, God had given Israel all the land that he promised, and he gave them peace on every side. However, Israel failed to take full possession of the land as God had commanded. They did not drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and this was to their detriment, because over time, God would allow these enemies to continually cause problems for his people by attacking them, subduing them, and also influencing them with ungodly practices. After the death of Joshua, we enter this period of time which is known as the Judges. This time is characterized by evil and unrighteousness, and the land, as the as final verse of Joshua 21 to 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Wickedness was everywhere. It abounded. People did as they felt what was right, but that usually was not right in God's eyes. During these days, God continued to lead his people, but he would do it through judges. He would raise up leaders like Samson, Gideon, Deborah, Jephthah, and Samuel to lead and deliver his people from the trials that they faced. Well, today's message, as already been said, will be about the life of the judge named Samson. But what you'll notice as we read about Samson, if, if you're familiar with any of the other judges, he was quite different. He was like a one-man army. Many of the other judges rallied the people together. They led them in battle. But we, just, we will see that Samson fought his own battles, fought them alone, as many of the battles we'll see were personal to him. So that brings us to Judges chapter 13, and we'll read a few verses and start to make our way through. Judges 13, verse 1, reading from the English Standard. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of Adanites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. During the lifetime of Samson, the Bible tells us that the Philistines were their current and present enemies. They had been subdued by the Philistines, the Philistines held them in check, for, as the Bible says there, for 40 years. And so that is who Samson is going to be in conflict with during his days. As you can see here on the map, the land of the Philistines was right next to the land that the Israelites possessed. That, that red line kind of goes down and shows where the Philistines lived. They're close to the water. But I should rephrase that as I say the land of the Philistines because the land they resided in was actually the promised land that God gave to his people. But his people failed to take possession of the land and drive them out. 
It is in these verses we are introduced to the mother of Samson, but her name is never given. We're also introduced to her husband, a man named Manoah, who was of the tribe of Dan, and they lived in a town, as you see there, named Zorah, which is about 15 miles away from what would eventually be Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that she was barren, and she and her husband had no children. And as we go on reading, the Bible tells us that as she is alone, she is approached by an angel of the Lord who tells her that although she is barren, she is going to conceive a son. The son of hers will have a special charge from God and that he is going to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The son of hers is going to have an important charge to break that yoke off the neck that the Philistines have put on them. Forty years they have been under the thumb of the Philistines, but Samson is going to start to break them free. There will be other deliverers besides Samson, but Samson has the important task of beginning this process. And she is given some, res- some restrictions that she needs to obey because the son of hers is going to be a Nazarite, a Nazarite from the womb until his death. Now, the meaning of Nazarite uh, vow is defined in Numbers chapter 6. The word Nazarite means consecrated or set apart for use by God. And when a person took the Nazarite vow, it was normally for a set amount of time, whether it's days, weeks, or maybe even months. And so they restrained themselves from certain things so that they could dedicate themselves to the service of God. During the vow, there were three main things or three main restrictions. Number one, they were to refrain from drinking wine or strong drink or any alcoholic beverages. They were even to refrain from consuming anything from the vine. Two, they did not cut their hair during the vow, but instead they allowed it to continually grow. And finally, they were not to go near a dead body and become defiled. But the special thing about Samson is that he is going to be a Nazarite for his entire life, not just for a few days or weeks or months. So even his mother must participate in some of these restrictions to an extent. While pregnant, the angel says she is not to consume alcohol nor nor eat anything unclean because then it would defile the child inside of her. While many in our current day do not consider the baby inside a woman to be a child, the Bible is clear that God views this as life from conception. After hearing this message from the angel, the woman went and found her husband, Benoah, and she told him the news. And in response, he prayed to the Lord. Benoah asked God to send this man back so that they could receive more instruction for their child and how he should be raised. And I think this is an honorable request from Benoah. His wife told him all that the angel had said. Nevertheless, he praised to God, asking that God send this man back so they could get more information on how the child should be raised. He wants to get it right. And so God honored Manoah's request, and he sent the angel back. However, the angel did not elaborate on anything that he had already told Manoah's wife, but simply repeated the same information that he gave before. Now, in those days, it was customary to prepare a meal for guests. So Manoah asked the man to stay, unaware that he was an angel. The angel agreed to stay, but he said he would not eat instead, saying the food prepared should be offered as a burnt offering to God. Still, Manoah did not recognize this man as an angel, 
perhaps giving us insight into Hebrews 13 and 2, imploring us to not neglect entertaining or showing hospitality to strangers because some have shown hospitality to strangers, to, uh, to angels, without even being aware of it. Manoah finally burns the goat offering, and the flame went up towards the heavens, and they witnessed the angel of God ascend in the flame. Upon seeing this, both he and his wife were aware that they had interacted with an angel of God. Getting into chapter 14, time has passed and the woman has bore a son as God, as just as the angel said, and they named him Samson. The Bible says that the Lord blessed Samson and his spirit began to move him. That brings us to the beginning of chapter 14 that picks up with the account of Samson. Now, while we don't know Samson's age at this time, apparently he is old enough to marry in his culture. The Bible says that he traveled to Timnah, as you see there on a the map, one of the Philistine cities where he encountered a Philistine woman that he saw and he wanted as his bride. In their culture, marriages were arranged by the parents. So he told his mother and father, get this woman for me. I want her to be my bride. And as any good mother and father would do when they think their child is going in the wrong direction, they tried to persuade him to not marry one of the Philistine women. They told him, but instead, he should choose an Israelite woman. That's who he should choose for his wife. However, Samson's mind was made up, and he couldn't be convinced. The Bible then reveals to us, in verse 4, that this was the Lord, and that he was seeking an occasion for Samson to do harm to the Philistines. This doesn't mean that Samson's behavior was right in choosing a Philistine woman to marry. For Deuteronomy 7 and 3, from the old law, God commanded the Israelites not to marry amongst the ungodly people that lived in the land. God's law was not overruled for Samson. But this is God giving Samson free will to make his own choices, his own decisions, but God moving to ultimately accomplish his will. So Samson's parents honored his desire and they accompanied him to Timnah to make arrangements for the wedding. And at some point, Samson was separated from his parents, the Bible tells us, and he encountered a young lion that tried to attack him. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, giving him the power to tear this lion apart with his bare hands. This is our first view of Samson's supernatural, God-given strength. For whatever reason, he did not tell his parents about this encounter. The Bible says he proceeded on to Timnah, where he spoke to the woman he was going to marry. And the Bible says that she pleased him well, or that he felt that she was the right one. The Bible says that at a later time, when he returned to Timnah for the actual wedding, he turned aside to see the remains of this young lion that he tore apart. And he saw a swarm of bees in the carcass of this lion. A swarm of bees, and there he saw honey. And here we see that Samson willfully disobeying the Nazarite vow, vow by scooping honey from this dead lion and ate it. He even offered some of the honey to his parents, neglecting to tell them where it was from and possibly even defiling them. First 10 tells us that it may have been the custom of the Philistines as they were getting ready for this wedding to have a big seven-day-long wedding feast before marriages were consummated. So Samson is here with his parents, but he had no accompanying friends or companions with him. So the Philistines decided to provide with him 30 of their own men to be with Samson. 
So on the first day of the festivities, Samson proposes a wager to the men accompanying him, the 30 men. The Bible says, it says here in Judges 14 and 12, And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in the three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? So Samson gave them a riddle to solve, saying that if they solve it, he will give them 30 changes of clothing. But if they can't, they owe him 30 garments. Now the answer to the riddle goes back to the encounter with the lion. Therefore, no one should have been able to solve it. Now angered at the prospect of having to pay up on this bet and feeling robbed by Samson, his 30 companions went to his wife-to-be, and they threatened her. They threatened her life. They threatened the life of her family, saying, if she didn't give them the answer, there were going to be problems. And so she goes back to Samson, crying, and she accuses him of hating her because he hasn't revealed the, the answer to this riddle to her. Well, he protests and says, I haven't even told my parents. They don't even know the answer. But the Bible says she continued to cry until he finally gave her the answer. Now, as expected to preserve her own life and her family, she immediately told the answer to his 30 companions. And so when the 30 men revealed the answer to Samson in verse 18, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion, Samson knew they got the answer from his wife. And he let them know that he knew that they manipulated his wife to get the answer. Nevertheless, he would still honor this bet that he lost. And so the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And he went to a town about 25 miles away that was heavily populated with Philistines. And there he went on to kill 30 men, taking their belongings and their garments, and he gave them to his 30 companions, paying up on the bet. And in anger, he left, and he departed and returned to his father's house. And so while he was gone, there was still a wedding planned. And so his father-in-law gave his wife to be away to another man, assuming that Samson hated her and he would never return again. This behavior by Samson may seem harsh, it may seem erratic, it may seem foolish, but we must recall why all this has occurred. Verse 4 told us that God was using this as an occasion to attack the Philistines. Although Samson hasn't been faithful to his Nazarite vow, the Spirit of God is still with him enabling him to accomplish such works. Let's pick up at chapter 15, where the Bible says, After some days, at the, same, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with the young goat. And he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I will be innocent. 
in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So some days have passed. Samson has time, had some time to cool off, and he decides to return to Timnah to claim his wife. The Bible says he returned during the time of the wheat harvest, and he learns that his wife has been given away to one of his 30 companions. His father-in-law told him her, her younger sister is just as pretty as she is. Take her instead. But Samson is not interested in that offer. He expresses his anger, telling the man that I will now be justified in my anger. I'll be justified in what I do to the Philistines. Samson's about to do some damage. The Bible says that Samson in some way caught 300 foxes, and he tied them together in pairs and attached some sort of burning torch to their tails. And he turned the foxes loose. And they proceeded to run through the wheat fields. Now keep in mind, he said, this is during the harvest, so the fields are surely dry and highly flammable because it was harvest time. This was a devastating loss for the Philistines, for it says the whole harvest was lost. Lots of money. So the Philistines began to inquire who would do such a thing. And they learned that Samson was responsible. And after learning the reason that Samson did this, they proceeded to burn Samson, uh, Samson's wife and her father to death. Now the Bible doesn't tell their rationale for killing her family. Was it because they were unable to attack Samson so somebody had to pay? Or was it because his father-in-law's actions is what caused their loss so he and his family had to pay? The Bible doesn't say, but either way, Samson took this aggression towards him he took that as an aggression, and he wanted to pay back. He wanted to retaliate. And then he said the matter would be settled. What we're about to talk about here is a cycle of violence as the retaliation begins. Verse 8 says that Samson smote them hip and thigh with great slaughter. This is an expression that means slaughter without mercy, giving us an idea of how vicious this attack was. And after this slaughter, Samson left, and he went to live in a cliff at Etah. But now, the Philistines are ready to retaliate against Samson for what he has done. So 1,000 of the Philistines gathered together, and they went to Judah to hunt down Samson. Well, to get to Judah, and the men of Judah are obviously concerned. They don't want to fight. They're already subdued by the Philistines. And so they went out to inquire, why have you come and arrayed yourself in this way? Why are you ready to attack us? And upon learning of the Philistines' plans to do in Samson, the men of Judah gathered themselves up 3,000 men to go and find Samson and to turn him over to the Philistines. Now it's sad to me that they were all too willing to hand over Samson, their judge, rather than fight with him. Perhaps they viewed this as sacrificing one to save the lives of many. But as I said earlier, Samson was more like a one-man army because his countrymen were cowards. So they approached Samson, and they basically said, don't you realize the Philistines are our rulers? We're under their control. Why are you out here causing trouble for us? And so Samson explained his actions, saying, it's just an eye for an eye, nothing more. They did evil to me, and I paid them back. But his countrymen explained to him, 
what they were going to do. They said, we're going to bind you up and we're going to turn you over to them. Samson obviously could get out of this situation. But he went along with their plan with one condition. His request was that his countrymen do not kill him themselves, which they agreed will do no harm. So the Bible says that they tied him up with new ropes and they brought him back to hand him over to the Philistines. Picking up here at verse 14, it says, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arm became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. So when the Philistines come, they see Samson tied up. They see that he's been betrayed by his countrymen. They got fired up. They got excited. They started shouting, perhaps feeling that no longer, no, no more will Samson do them harm. But the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, enabling him to break free from the ropes. He then found a weapon, the jawbone of a donkey, and he immediately went to work killing the Philistines. And the Bible says that he killed a thousand of them. Samson, with the power of God, truly was a one-man army as he slaughtered many men that day. After the victory in battle, Samson gave God the credit for this great victory, and he cried out to God for water, for he was thirsty from the slaughter. And God heard his plea and miraculously delivered water to quench his thirst and revive him. And chapter 15 ends, letting us know that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. The Bible doesn't reveal to us how he judged, any particular things that he did, but from what is revealed, we see in Samson so far that he always acted alone, fighting against the Philistines and accomplishing God's will. And that brings us to chapter 16, the final chapter on the life of Samson. We'll pick up here at verse 1. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went in to her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait until the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. And we're not told why, but Samson is deep into Philistine territory here in Gaza, as you see there on the screen. The Bible says he went there and he met a prostitute. Samson is surely well-known amongst the Philistines by now. He's killed over a 1,000 of them. So when word got out that he was there in Gaza, the men laid in wait at the city gates, ready to attack him, ready to kill him in the morning when he left the city. So Samson arose instead at midnight, and he tore the gates off the city, and he carried them on his shoulders to the top of a hill near Hebron. As we see there on the map, this is about 40 miles in distance that Samson carried these gates. Walls of the city, gates that helped to protect the city. In a way, thumbing his nose at those that planned to attack him. Letting them know that they would never kill him. Why Samson chose to put himself in such a dangerous position, we will never know. What was he doing in Philistine country in the first place? Especially after slaughtering a thousand men, you should know they're going to be on the lookout for you. We know from reading the Bible that he had a weakness for women. 
especially the Philistine women. Clearly, there was something about those women that Samson was attracted to, but we also see that Samson had a lack of self-control, a lack of concern for God's will, and even hints that he takes God's mercy and spirit on him for granted. Continuing in chapter 16, picking up verse 4, the Bible says, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So the Bible tells of Samson falling in love with another Philistine woman. Now the Philistines know about Samson by now. They know that they can't go toe-to-toe with him, They can't battle with him on their own. So it appears that they have finally identified a weakness in Samson that will allow them to overcome him. For even the Philistines knew that he had a theme for the Philistine women, so they partnered up with Delilah, offering her a large sum of money to find out the secret to Samson's strength. And so the Bible records that Delilah immediately went to work trying to get Samson to reveal to her the secret of his supernatural strength. Now on a side note, this this revelation here leads me to believe that Samson looked like just a regular guy. I know sometimes we read in uh, biblical renderings and you'll see artists draw a picture of what they think Samson looked like or even in in movies or or shows, they always show Samson as some muscle, you know, muscle-bound guy. You instantly know who he is when you see him. But if that were the case, there would be no secret to his strength. Clearly, it's his muscles, but that's why it leads me to believe that he's just a regular guy that God gave supernatural strength to. Of course, this is just me speculating. The Bible never tells us exactly how he looked. But in interacting with Delilah, the Bible tells that there there are three instances recorded where Samson lied to Delilah about the source of his strength, for she was constantly trying to get it. The Bible tells of the first instance where he told her, tie me up with seven green stalks or vines, and then I'll be as weak as any other man. And so she proceeded to do that, to see if that was true. And she called in, man, and Samson broke loose, and she was proved to be a lie. And so she asked Samson again, crying, tell me, tell me, what's the secret of your strength? And the second time he told her, if you tie me up with new ropes that have never been used before, then I'll be as weak as any other man. And so she proceeded to do that, tied him up, and once again she was proven wrong that Samson broke free. He did it a third time. He told her, if you tie up the seven locks of my hair, then I'll be as weak as any other man. And she did that. And once again, he broke free. Each time, she was to do him, as he said, and he would break free. Why did Samson keep playing these games with her? This woman who clearly doesn't love him, she's proven her intent is to do him harm. Was he blind to the warning signs? Was he just naive? Was he foolish? Did he not see the red flags? If we look to verse 4, the answer is there. Samson was in love with Delilah. His emotions blinded him to the danger that he was in. He's not the first person to make foolish, life-altering decisions because of strong emotions like love or hate or rage, and he certainly won't be the last. It's just sad to see and we should learn from it. So let's continue reading in verse 16, the beginning of the downfall of Samson. 
This and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. The Bible says that Delilah nagged him to death about this, this secret. And I can just imagine day after day after day, every opportunity she's looking at, asking him, what's the secret to your strength? Tell me, what's the secret to your strength? We see that he loves her so much that he finally opened up to her. He told her the truth. He poured us out to her. Told her the whole truth. Since my birth, I've been set apart for use by God. My hair is a sign of the vow that I have taken. If a razor touches my hair, I will be as weak as any other man. His strength wasn't really in his hair. Cutting it was a display of the disobedience to the Lord, and the spirit of the Lord departed from him. He foolishly revealed this truth to Delilah, and he is going to suffer greatly because of it. So as expected, she made arrangements to lull him to sleep there in her lap, and then she called the Philistines to cut off his hair. She then woke him by telling him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke, expecting to break free as usual as he had done before. But now we read of the saddest verse in his account. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Yes, the Spirit of God left Samson. His God-given strength was gone. And he was finally overpowered by the Philistines. The consequences of his sin his unwise decisions that finally caught up with him. They proceeded to gouge out his eyes. They bound him in chains. They imprisoned him. And they put him to work grinding wheat on the millstone, which was hard labor, usually reserved for animals or the lowest class of slaves. How low this mighty man has sunk, this mighty man of God, imprisoned, blind, grinding like an animal. The Bible says that his hair began to grow again while he was in prison, perhaps reminding him of the lifestyle that he should have been living. The Bible records that the Philistines were gathered together in Gaza at the temple for a great sacrifice to their false god named Dagon, who was the Philistine god of grain. They were all rejoicing that Dagon had delivered their enemy Samson to them. Dagon had done nothing. It was Samson's own sin that made this happen. As they all rejoiced and celebrated, they decided, let's call out Samson to entertain us. This once 
proud, strong man of God is now a source of entertainment and laughter to the Philistines. Prior to this, the power of God that was there in Samson was there, and he used it. But here we read that Samson prays to God for strength, almost like a prayer of repentance and turning back to God to strengthen him just one last time so that he can kill all these Philistines and avenge the loss of his eyesight. To the Philistines, Samson is blind and he's harmless now. So they let a young lad bring him in and essentially guard him, brought him into this temple. The Bible tells us this temple having two large pillars, and it tells us that many people were there, and it says that there were 3,000 people on the roof. So if there's 3,000 on the roof, clearly probably there's more than that downstairs on the ground level. It doesn't tell. But after entertaining the people, causing the people to laugh, Samson asked the young lad to put him next to the pillars that supported the building. And there Samson prayed to God to give him the strength this one last time to do in these Philistines. And in the self-sacrifice, the Bible says that he killed over 3,000 Philistines. The Bible says he killed more Philistines here than he had killed in his whole lifetime. The Bible closes this chapter in the account of Samson's life at verse 31, letting us know that his brothers and all his family came to retrieve his body in the rubble and to bury him in the family burial spot. That is all the Bible has to say about Samson. So what can we learn from his life, his example? If anything, we should look at his mistakes and learn from them. In chapter 13, we read how God planned to use Samson to begin to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. And God did just that, enabling Samson to kill, we know, at least over 4,000 Philistines. However, we were left to wonder, how much more effective he could have been if only he could have exercised the necessary self-control and not given in to his carnal desires. His life can be an example for us in resisting temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. This tells us that the temptations that we face, they're not new, they're not special, they're not irresistible in any way, but they have been faced by others before. God is faithful, and he will not allow us to be tried beyond what we're able to bear. God knows each and every one of us and how we stand and our abilities. But with our trials, he will provide a way out so that we can endure the trial. And the way out of the trial is not submitting to sin. God will not put on us more than we can bear. However, we need to be aware of the spiritual dangers that we encounter. We need to know ourselves. We need to understand ourselves. We need to understand our own weaknesses. You know yourself better than anyone else. You need to be ready to flee from those temptations that you know that can drive you to sin rather than playing around and submitting to sin. Samson didn't do that. With Delilah, he thought that he could just wake up, fight off the enemy, showing that he thought he was too strong to fall. As verse 12 said, 
Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. We deceive ourselves also when we put ourselves in situations that cause us to sin. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to know and understand ourselves and our weaknesses so that we don't find ourselves in situations that we know we shouldn't be in. That's me. May we consider the words of Jesus when he said in Mark 9, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, then cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Obviously, we shouldn't be maiming ourselves. The message is to take drastic measures to save your own soul. Put an end to some habits. Put an end to some relationships. Put away those things that are leading you to sin and disobey God. Purify your life and remove those temporal things in your life that can cause you to miss heaven because eternal life in heaven is just that important. That is one of the things that we can learn from Samson in his life. Learning to resist temptation and not putting ourselves in dangerous situations that can lead us to sin like he did. Another thing we can learn from Samson is unprofitable relationships. We read in him about unprofitable relationships were, were a weakness for him that we can look to and learn from. More specifically, he loved the Philistine women and he lacked self-control to conduct himself in a godly manner. He pursued one as a wife and that fell apart. He should have learned from that and heeded the lesson. Heeded the advice from his parents where they encouraged him to choose an Israelite wife. But no, he continued to pursue Philistine women until he finally fell head over heels for Delilah. He was deceived into thinking that these unprofitable relationships would do him no harm. He deceived himself. So what can we learn? If anything, we should learn from this terrible example as we consider our own relationships. Young men, one day you're going to consider marriage and the type of young lady to pursue. If you want to marry a godly woman, if you want to have a biblical marriage, if you want to have a godly household and raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you better start with a godly woman. If you aren't starting there, the recipe is all wrong, and the likelihood that you will have those godly things are slim to none. It's not impossible, but the odds are against you. The young woman that you choose will affect you and those goals in so many ways. A woman that isn't godly will derail them. Look to Samson's example and be not deceived. There are a lot of young women out here that don't care one bit for the Lord. And I advise you to steer clear of them when considering who to date. Don't be playing around with them. My grandmother told me something when I was a teenager. She said, don't play with trash or it will get in your eye. Now don't misunderstand the saying, it's not calling a person trash, but the message is this. If you keep playing around with girls that you know aren't your type, that you know that aren't good for you, eventually, you're going to fall for them. They're going to get in your eye. And you're going to be in love with them. And you're going to find yourself in love with someone that is totally wrong for you. 
And you'll be asking yourself, how did I fall for her? I am so in love. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't be like Samson, falling for women that he had no business being with. Young women, the same thing applies to you. If a godly marriage, a godly family is what you want in life, the recipe is all off if you're beginning with the man that isn't godly. As I said before, it is possible that he will turn into the godly man that you want him to be, but you're making a bet, and the odds are against you. It's your risk, and I encourage you not to take it. There are some people that need to remain in the friend zone until they exhibit the godly qualities that show they are worthy of your serious consideration. It is important that we recognize the truth of 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. That tells us to not be deceived because evil communications corrupts good manners. The influence of those that we are close to can be to our detriment. Friends, co-workers, even family. Anyone you spend considerable time with, they bring an influence that can leave you or lead you far away from God. So be careful in your relationships. Be careful who you're spending lots of time with. Pursue godly relationships. Pursue relationships with people of like mind and pursue those who share your godly values. King Solomon is an example we can also look to for this. We're studying the book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday evenings and reading of his great wisdom. God-given wisdom is what he possessed, yet he foolishly loved many strange women that turned his heart from God. Those women had such an influence on this wise and godly king that his heart was turned to other gods that his wives worshipped, that he built altars for them, he offered sacrifices for them, and God was angry with Solomon for this. Consider your relationships and the influence that people have over you. And if there are any that need to end, end them. Be willing to do that. As we close, I will reiterate that God's word is profitable to us. We read today about the life of Samson. We sought to gain wisdom by examining his life and learning from his examples. We rejoice that we serve a long-suffering and merciful God, for we saw it in the life of Samson. But that same God is also long-suffering to us, for he allows the world to continue to turn day by day by day, giving each and every one of us opportunity to turn to him before it is everlasting too late. In 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants all to repent of their sinful lifestyles and turn to him. The price for our sins has been paid by his son on the cross. We encourage you to believe that he is the high and holy God and recognize that you are in sin and turn to him to repent of your, sin, of your sins and confess that Jesus is the Son of God who has died for your sins. And according to the scriptures, you can be baptized this very morning for forgiveness of sins and be added to the kingdom of God and live a faithful life in the death after which eternal life in heaven awaits you. We encourage you to repent today. We encourage you. We will study with you. We will help you understand all you need to know to lead a life that is pleasing to God. And finally, if there are any other requests of the church, you can certainly make those known 
by coming forward to the front as we stand and sing the song that has been selected. Walk with 